Welcome to the September 20th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and the sermon is entitled, Walking But Not Healed, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Turn with me in your Bible, New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 5 is where we are this morning. We're beginning this new chapter of John's Gospel today. We have finished chapter 4 as of last week. We're looking at the biography of Jesus Christ through the eyes of his eldest disciple, John. John wrote this Gospel down under the direction of the Holy Spirit, but he percolated for 50 years of on spending time with the Christ and walking in his footsteps and hearing his words and seeing his miracles. And he writes this down as his witnessing tool to the world. If you remember, uh, we're, we're looking at the life of Jesus knowing that primarily in all the Gospels, we see the last three years of Jesus' life, his public ministry. The first 30 years of Jesus' life, we have bare glimpses into. We see his birth, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. We also see him at 12 years old in the temple. But basically, we have very little information about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. But the Gospels concentrate on the last three years, from 30 to 33, his public ministry and reaching out to the world, introducing himself to the world as Savior and Messiah and Son of God. At the point of his ministry beginning, we know that he comes to John the Baptist and he surrenders to the will and the call of God the Father. I believe it was at his baptism that Jesus fully undertook his public ministry, which would culminate at the old rugged cross. And I believe at his baptism with John the Baptist that Jesus said, Yes, Father God, I will even go to the cross to save all humankind. And so we see the ministry of Jesus beginning. He's choosing his disciples. He's introducing himself to the world at large. Now, in chapters 2 and 4, which we've covered in the Gospel of John, we see the quiet miracle of Jesus at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, turning water into wine. Very few at that wedding really knew that miracle took place, as far as we know. The servants knew. Jesus' mother, Mary, knew. Those who were running the wedding feast knew that that wine had been produced in a miraculous way. But it was a quiet miracle produced right there at the hand of Jesus at that wedding of Cana of Galilee. We see his conversation with Nicodemus. We see his meeting with the woman at the well and an entire town of Sychar coming out to meet him at that well. Chapter 4 closes with another miracle, and we discussed it last week, studied it last week, the healing of the nobleman's son. And as you remember, the nobleman came to Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and he says, Lord, I am interceding for my son who is over in Capernaum 20 miles away, and he's dying. Could you come, walk 20 miles with me, and heal my son? And Jesus says, your son is already healed. You can go your way now. So, Jesus transcends time and space, and he's able to do the healing at a moment's notice 20 miles away. We're learning the character of our our Savior, Jesus Christ, in these words. So, as chapter 5 opens, Jesus' public ministry is well underway now. People in multitudes are seeing him and following him and understanding his ministry is gaining traction now. 
Today's passage is a very interesting, unusual word of God. You may have read this many times, but I pray that I can pick out some of the finer points of it, that we can study it together and, uh, and come to an understanding of it together. So turn with me to John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. Hear these words. Open your Bible with me, streamers. If you're home, open your Bible with me. Hear these words uh, from the word of God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then, they asked, then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist or knew not, who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious portion of his holy word. As we consider it today, I want you to notice at the close of chapter 4, Jesus is still in Cana of Galilee. At the beginning of chapter 5, you notice that Jesus is now in Jerusalem. So in that little white space between chapter 4 and chapter 5 is the unspoken word that Jesus had walked Another 80 miles from the north back down to the south. If you remember, as we've been considering, especially the woman at the well, Jesus was making a trip from the south, Judea, up to the north. He went straight through Samaria so he could meet the woman at Sychar outside the city gate at the well. So he traveled from south to north 80 miles going through Samaria. And now when chapter 5 opens, he's made a trip back down south and he's gone 80 miles again. He must have been a powerful man to do all that walking. But he had made that trip between chapter 4 and chapter 5. But here's where Scripture gets so interesting. In fact, what I'm going to discuss with you today has been controversial. 
over the centuries about what Scripture is saying here. This is a tough passage. But here's the scene. Hang with me now. Here's the scene. In Jerusalem, there was a popular meeting place. The place in Jerusalem was called Bethesda. And it was five porches that surrounded a pool of water. Now this pool was a a popular meeting place for many people of the city. But the people who came there were blind, lame, crippled, paralyzed. Some physical problem was, was going on with the people who gathered at this pool of Bethesda on these five porches. The Greek word that John, the gospel writer, uses to describe these people is asthenia. And it means people without power, people without strength. So these were weak individuals, sickened, not able to move very easily. Why did they come to this pool of water? They came every day. Why did they come to this pool of water at Bethesda? Well, according to John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the pool had healing qualities. Scripture says, now listen carefully here. Scripture says that an angel would come down from time to time and stir the waters of that pool, and the first sick person who could get off of one of those five porches and get in the water at that moment when the water was stirred, whoever beat the race, whoever got to the water first, would be healed. Well, I read that verse, I've read this passage how many times in my life as I've read through John, and I've read it over and over and over again this week, and I'm thinking about all of these people gathered, and the waters stir, and supposedly an angel comes, and there's this race for somebody to get in the water first. All of these people scratching and clawing, trying to get to the water first. And, And the only word that comes to my mind when I'm reading this passage is, Really? This does not sound like an act of God. This doesn't sound like something that God would be the author of. It's just awkward of these people who are trying to get into the water first. It's a strange thought when you really think about it. It doesn't sound like God's involved here that much. Well, I really wanted to dig through what history and theology is saying about these few verses. So I dug through commentaries and interpretations of these verses from the ancient commentator Jerome all the way through the ages to our modern commentators and what they say about these verses. To say the least, there is a great variety of thought about the angel stirring the water and the first one getting in would be healed. Many scholars agree These verses about the angel coming down and one person getting healed are not in the oldest manuscripts of the Gospel of John. These seem to be added later than the original words that John wrote down. Jerome, that ancient commentator, said that it did not fit with the language of John. There was something out of step with the way John writes, that it was added somewhere in a different time, in a different place, by a different person. It just doesn't appear to be John's writing. Many translations of the Bible leave these words completely out about the angel stirring the waters and the first one getting in to be healed. If you have a new international version today, those verses are not even in it. Or in the new Revised Standard or the contemporary English version, those verses are not even in your Bible. Some versions have them listed, but they're in parentheses. Like, we don't know if they really belong here or not. 
but we're inserting them just in case. David Jeremiah doesn't even comment on them in his commentary. John MacArthur and the Interpreter's Bible say that they believe that these verses were added later to the original text. But they're here in the Bible for many of us. So how do we deal with these words? Well, here's my thought. My, my little simple country theology, here's my thought about it. This pool was surrounded by people every single day who had very little to no hope. This was the last grasping of hope that they had, was maybe I can get in that water when it stirs, that I can beat the rest of the crowd, I can get in the water, and I can have some healing. It was the only shred of hope they had to hold to. They were sick, they could not work, men could not be productive to take care of their families, and so that means that these people were mostly extremely poor, not able to make a living. Again, the ancient commentator Jerome said that the pool was over a spring or a natural geyser, and every once in a while that spring or geyser would flow upward, and the waters indeed would stir and, and boil about because the water was being added from the underneath of the pool. But the tradition developed, according to Jerome, that an angel came down and literally stirred the waters, and the first one in would be healed. So that tradition developed in an ancient day that gave sick people a hope for healing. Let's move ahead 2,000 years. Think about this day. Think about this age. When a faith healer comes to a stadium, let's say it's Benny Hinn, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands come to that stadium and fill it up, and many of them are sick, many of them come with a health problem, and they are praying that this faith healer will pick one or more out of the tens of thousands there, and they would have the hope that maybe they'd get healed in this faith healing service. So they're holding to that little shred of hope that maybe I'll be one chosen out of the tens of thousands that may be healed today. The same principle. People are holding to a little bit of hope that maybe their life will improve. Here in John 5, though, no matter what you might study about these prior verses, no matter what you might believe about them, if they're a later edition, if they're true to scriptural word, whatever you believe about him, here is the basic truth we need to know. The true, authentic, real healer, the great physician, came to the pool that day. And his name is Jesus. No matter what you think about other healings, Jesus is the real healer. Jesus is the one who gives us hope. He is the Savior who gives us life. So no matter what you think about these other verses, we've got to agree on this one verse, that Jesus the Christ, the great physician, came to the pool that day. There's where we land, and that's very, very important. Here in John 5, as Jesus comes to this pool at Bethesda, he's really there to meet one man. You remember as we preached through and studied through the woman at the well, Jesus came to that city of Sychar because he had an appointment with one woman. And she comes out of the city gate, coming to the well. She didn't know she had an appointment, but Jesus was there to meet her. I believe that Jesus had an appointment with this man right here at the pool of Bethesda. He came to meet him. This man had been unable to walk for 38 years. His legs were non-functional. He was not able to move about. 
Obviously, the pool had not helped him. He'd been there all these years, but the pool had not helped him. He'd not been healed. And he carried this malady. He carried this problem for all of these years, hoping beyond hope that one day, somehow, maybe he could get in the water and be healed. And Jesus comes to him. And in John chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus asks this man a simple question. And the question basically is, do you desire to be healed? Do you desire to be able to walk? Do you desire for your life to be changed and healed so you can move forward in life? And this man's reply is very interesting in what he says. He doesn't say, yes, I want to be healed. Yes, I want to have my legs. Yes, I want to have a regular life. He doesn't say any of that, but rather he tells Jesus, you know, when the waters move, nobody helps me get in first. I am not able to get to the water and get in first. And so somebody's always beating me there. I've been here 38 years just trying to get into the water, trying to have a little hope in life, but I never can get there. The angel of God stirring the waters has never helped me. And Jesus just gives him this simple reply. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. So 38 years of frustration... 38 years of hopelessness, 38 years of lying by the pool at Bethesda was solved in a few words. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. There's the miracle. There's the proof that the great physician had come to the pool. He healed this man instantaneously and miraculously. Now, again, this story takes another turn. This is Saturday the Jewish Sabbath day. I reminded the early group this morning that when God Almighty gave the Jews a Sabbath day, only did He give to the Jews Saturday. We worship on the day of resurrection. We worship on Sunday, Jesus' day. But God gave to the nation of Israel the day of Saturday for their Sabbath day. So this is Saturday, the day that everybody is to be low-key and worshiping God. And rabbinical law says on the Sabbath day, no Jew could lift a burden. In fact, rabbinical law said there are 39 things that you cannot do on the Sabbath day. One of them is carry a burden. You can't lift a load and carry it anywhere. It's against God's law to do that kind of work. So this man just healed of 38 years of being crippled and being frustrated, is carrying his bed through Jerusalem, through the crowds of people, a new man. It's interesting to me that John does not note, is he happy? Is he jumping for joy? There's no note about how he feels. We just know that he's carrying his bed through town because he now has new legs on which he's walking. And the Jewish religious leaders catch up with them and say, Hey man, what are you doing? You, you know you're not supposed to be carrying a load today. This is a Sabbath day. It's against God's law for you to be carrying a bed through town. And the healed man said, Well, here's what happened. A man met me at the pool and he said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. I'm just doing what he said. And the Jewish leaders ask, well, who told you that? 
Who gave you the ability to rise and stand up on your crippled legs and walk and carry your bed? I'm sure he was a well-known man in the town. If he laid in the same place for 38 years, you know people noticed him and knew who he was. So they're anxious to know, they're eager to know, who told you that and gave you the ability to walk here on the Sabbath day carrying your bed through town? And here's what really grabs me in this Scripture. Don't miss this. Here's what really gets hold of me in this passage of Scripture. The, the healed man said, I don't know who he was. If somebody comes by and heals you of a 38-year disease, wouldn't you want to know who it was? <laughs> but he says to the leaders, I don't know who he was. He just told me to do this, and I got up and I did it. That's amazing to me. And here's the amazing point is he never found out who this man was who came and healed his life. And they say, well, well point him out to us. And he said, I, I can't. I, I don't know his face. I, I wouldn't recognize him. That's how little attention this man paid when Jesus was talking to him. He couldn't even picture his face in his mind to point him out. Well, the Jewish leaders push on, wanting to know who this is. Well, listen, this is very, very important. We know right here that this man's body was healed. But he was not saved. His body outwardly was healed, but his heart was totally unaffected. He didn't even know who healed him, much less come to him as Lord and Savior in faith. So outwardly, he was healed. Inwardly, he was still lost. He was still dying. He'd, got, he'd gotten a new lease on his physical life, but inwardly, he was still headed to hell. You see that? That's a very, very important point that you cannot miss in this passage of Scripture. He still did not know Jesus Christ. Okay, look at the last two verses that we study today. John 5, 14 and 15. Afterward, Jesus findeth him. So Jesus finds this healed man. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Okay, so sometime later, Jesus goes to the temple grounds. And he finds this man whom he had healed at the pool of Bethesda. The man didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him again. And Jesus said, I'm the one, I'm the one who healed your legs. I'm the one who gave you a new lease on life. I'm the one who renewed your purpose. Gave you a new way to live. But then Jesus continues and he said, but listen to me. You keep sinning the way you're sinning right now. And something worse is going to come to you. That's sobering, isn't it? I healed you. But you're still sinning. And you haven't laid that down yet. And if you continue in that lifestyle, something worse is coming for you. Jesus is telling him, don't continue sinning over and over whatever this sin is that he's referring to. 
whatever disease this man had perhaps was brought on by that sin. And if he continued whatever lifestyle of sin that was, his life was only only going to get more complicated through his own sin. But ultimately, I believe, that what Jesus is saying here is you continue sinning, I healed your body, but you didn't allow me to heal your heart. And ultimately, you continue living this way, you're going to go to hell. You see that? A very important point. That Jesus says, your sin is going to come back on you on a vengeance. And the worst is going to happen to you. So what I see here in this passage, and I pray that you'll study it independently, but what I see in this passage is Jesus miraculously, physically healing a man. But the man didn't allow him to heal his heart or to forgive his sin. The man didn't allow him to come live in him as Savior and Lord and God. But at this point, after this conversation with Jesus, he knows him well enough now to point him out to the religious leaders. And that's where we pick up next week. But let's think about what these first 15 verses say right now. How do they apply to us? What do they say to us in the modern day? Many, many years ago, I knew a man through a connection of the church here. He never came to the church. His family never came to the church. But I got to know him through a church connection. And that man was in a horrible accident. He almost died in that accident. And he spent weeks in the hospital. And then he spent weeks at home recuperating. And I went to see him in the hospital, prayed with him there. I went to see him at his home during his recuperation many times. And I would often speak about the Lord and the fact that the Lord was the one who was doing the healing because slowly but surely, he was getting better. It took a long time, but I assured him every time that we met that the Lord was in control of bringing him out of this injury that he'd been in. It took months for him to heal, but every time I visited with him, he'd say, you know, I've never been in church. But when I get better, when I walk again, I'm going to be on your front row. When I'm able to leave this house, I'm coming to church. Well, he did get better. He did walk. He did get out and travel and drove once again and went anywhere he wanted to go. But never once. Did he fulfill his promise of coming to church? Not once. You know, it breaks my heart to tell you that this morning. Well, years later, I officiated his funeral. But I could not assure his family that he knew Jesus as Savior. As many times as I've talked to him about the Lord As many times as I assured him that Jesus loved him and was healing him, he never gave his heart to Jesus as Savior that I know of. Now maybe in that last 30 seconds of his life, maybe he entrusted his heart to Jesus, and I pray so, but I don't know that for sure. And so when I officiated his funeral, the best thing I could say is we're going to take this man and we're going to put him in the arms of Jesus, and Jesus is going to do what's right here. 
And I don't really know what that is, but I know I never heard him make a commitment to Christ. I didn't say that at the funeral, but that was in my mind. Never heard a commitment. Listen, church. There are multitudes of people outside of these doors who give daily lip service to God. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe that God blesses people. In fact, a lot of those people have been touched and healed and guided by the Lord God. Friends, this morning, if if you and I woke up and got up, we already had a miracle today. He's the author of life. He gave us another day. So today, you're being here, I can tell you right now, every one of us had a gift this morning. We had a miracle this morning. We got up, and we were able to come to worship. And a lot of people will give lip service to God, and they know He's present, and they know He blesses, but they never surrender to Him. They never truly give Him their heart in thanksgiving. They have all the evidence surrounding them of a a healed life and blessings every day and a family that loves them and all the things that God gives us, but they ignore Him and they resist Him and they procrastinate saying, I'm going to get this right one of these days. I'm going to come to church one of these days. I'm going to put my heart in Jesus' hands one of these days. And they live and live and live and procrastinate on and on until one day life is gone and they've never done it. Am I describing anybody today here streaming? Has Jesus touched you in some way and you know it, but you still resisted to give him your heart? You still resisted to give him your life? You've been touched by the master's hand, but you've not worshipped him? You've had the miracle of healing in your life, the, the blessings flowing over and over every day, but you haven't loved Him, you haven't come to Him, you haven't surrendered to Him. Today I want you to know that the greatest healing can come to you today simply by saying, Lord Jesus, I know you're in my life, and I know you want me as your son or daughter. I surrender my heart to you. And while you've healed me so much on the outside, today, Lord, I'm asking you to heal me on the inside. Forgive my sin through your shed blood of the old rugged cross and accept me as your son or your daughter and promise me eternal life and I'm going to give my life to you in salvation. If you've never done that today, don't procrastinate another day longer. Give him your heart. Give him your life. It's the greatest healing of all the universe to be healed of sin and given eternal life. If you need Him, you come. Don't put it off. Don't wait until you think a better day is coming. Today's that best day. Come now. Let Him have your life in your heart. Believers, can we simply come today and say, Lord, thank you for all the miracles of my life. The miracle of getting up this morning. The miracle of family. The miracle of people who surround me here who love me. The miracle of being able to conduct my life in such a way that I'm providing for my family. And thank you for my children. Thank you for my grandchildren. Thank you for all that you've given me. Miraculously, you've just blessed me so much, Lord. And I just need to arrive at the foot of your throne and say, Lord, I sincerely mean this. Thank you for what you've done for me.
I am not at all directing this comment to you. For myself, I can say, I don't say thank you enough. Maybe today, collectively, as we end this day of worship, we can say together, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me personally. You've sustained me, you've healed me, you've blessed me. Praise God, Lord, for the greatest healing you've given me, and that's a healed life and a healed heart because you've saved me. And I'm looking forward to eternity with you. Thank you for what you've done for me. So today, if you've never received him, this is the moment of the truest healing of all, to simply come and say, Lord, I give you my heart. I ask you to save me, forgive me, and adopt me as your own. For those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, streaming wherever you are, come to the, come to the altar of your heart. I'm not, I'm not begging you to come to the altar. Come if, you, if God leads you here. But you come to the throne of your heart and you say, Lord God, thank you for what you've done for me. I do not want to ignore your blessings and your grace in my life. Thank you. If there's a need of healing in your life in some way, maybe a healing of, of a family issue, or a physical healing, or whatever it might be, an emotional healing, he's still the healer. He met that man at the pool of Bethesda. He met that woman at the well in Sychar. He'll meet you right here where you are today. His character has not changed. He has an appointment with you today. You come. He's still the great physician. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for giving us your word, Lord. This passage has intrigued me all week long. I've read it so many times in my life, and all of a sudden it dawns on me that this man didn't even recognize Jesus, didn't accept really what Jesus gave him in thanksgiving. Lord, I believe that if we're going to be ministers, if we're going to be witnesses, if we're going to be representatives of Christ in this world, we have to start on the baseline of thanksgiving for our salvation. That thanksgiving for the miracles you give us. So today, Father, I pray my brothers and sisters will join me here in person in a sanctuary, online, wherever they might be, out in the parking lot with an FM signal. However we join here, as someone joins us on down the road of time on an iPod cast, Lord, I pray that we together will say, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you, Lord. And if there's one here today, Lord, who's never received Jesus as Savior, they've received a lot of miracles, but it's time to be saved, time to have that greatest miracle of healing of all, and that's to give their heart to you in salvation. And you will cleanse them and give them eternal life, Lord. It's the greatest miracle of healing there is. Maybe there's one, just one, who needs to come and give his or her her heart to Jesus. May we see that miracle today. Whatever the need is for healing, you are still the great physician. You have not changed. May that one come. Bless us, we pray, in this very important moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.